0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 156. So glad you could join me. Um, today's guest, we have two of them for the first time in a long time. Gary Fine is here and Elizabeth S. Wolfe, uh, the two people behind our Prisoner Express tribute, which we did uh, for the summer issue. Um, they're gonna both joining us in uh, about 10 minutes or so. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been continuous continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so please do click the like button and share. Make sure you're subscribed. Click the bell for notifications. Uh, if you're on iTunes or Spotify or something, leave a review, I think is what you want to do there. Do something to help us out and help spread poetry around the Internet. Now, we always like to begin with the uh, Poetry respond Poets. We had a wonderful one this week. Um, Jen Gata-Gupta is here. Uh, let's say hello to Jen. Hey, Jen. Hi, how are you? I'm great. It's great to meet you. So um, why don't we start out just explaining what inspired the poem? Um, it's kind of self-evident from the, the topic itself, but, but what made you write it?
1: Sure, yeah. Um, most of my writing these days happens uh with a writing community, the Poetry Salon, um, run by Trisha Faye Hefner. Oh, terrific. Yeah. Um, I love that. yeah. <laughs> so this was a prompt from Alicia Elcourt. Um, and it was yeah, just like fill in the blank. Uh I was looking for blank and all I got was blank. And I really didn't know where I was going with this when I started, but um I think just, you know, this time of year I'm Used to getting ready for school, and so that was kind of fresh on my mind, and yeah, so the the connection between the hair and the the job kind of came out as I went through the process of writing.
0: Yeah, and so um, tell me a little bit about what is going on with the um, the teacher shortages that we're having. Do you know what? I mean, what are the the sources of it? Would you say it seems like one of those problems that's just multi-variable, and there's so many issues going on all at once, kind of coalescing into a a big problem where there aren't enough teachers.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I mean, COVID obviously is a big catalyst for that. Whether it's just you know how difficult teaching was through COVID, um, both the year that we were remote and also once we got back, it was just painful. And um, I think even outside of that, just the fact that COVID has made everyone reevaluate their life in a big way. And um, so I just, I know so many people that are either leaving the classroom or want to leave the classroom. Um, But on top of that, obviously, you know, as people have left, the job gets harder and harder because it's harder to fill those positions and you're understaffed and there's more work on you. And um, yeah, I, I was talking to a friend the other day too. She said, uh, a teacher from her team just left a couple of days before school started because she realized she wasn't going to be able to pay her rent anymore. So it's just a, a very a various things that are feeding into it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And a lot of it's early retirements too. I mean, there's just so many things. Mm-hmm. It's like teachers have been slammed for the last several years with, with problem after problem. And um, it's, mm-hmm. it's all adding up for now. Um, let's hear your poem right now. I was looking for a job and all I got was a new haircut, which is a great title.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so this is... A, After Torn A Great House, after Denez Smith. Hair keeps you warm in the winter and gives you something to do with your fingers when you are bored. When I was young, my mother's hair fell below her butt. And when she cut it off, I hid in the bathroom and refused to speak with her. Which was the same reaction I had when my father removed his beard and when my friend suggested it was time for me to shave my legs. I was looking for a job because I left mine. In real life, at least. The dream me hasn't noticed. She just keeps showing up to school without a lesson plan or clothes. Real Me only gets out of bed when the real dog's cries are louder than the dream children's screams. Real Me wears sweatpants till noon. Real Me hasn't packed a lunch in a year and has gotten real good at convincing herself that this is not her fault. But I got the haircut because my mother says I look older with shorter hair. Older, meaning more experienced, more experienced, meaning more qualified, and I kept getting carded at Trader Joe's, so there went a solid 12 or 13 inches that keep making their way back. Maybe that is the reason I've always had long hair, because it doesn't stay short and haircuts are expensive and I don't have a job. Maybe that's the reason I have stopped shaving my legs because I need a new razor, but I don't want to buy one. It's not that the last one paid well, but they were really good at convincing us that the pay wasn't the point. it was for the children and i did believe that for a very long time until my friends started making three times as much for half the work and it gave me an itch of an idea that maybe the point of a job is to get paid after all i don't think i was the only one who figured this out because i keep hearing about a national teacher shortage meanwhile my own hair shortage has still not produced a new job i haven't figured out what i am trying to tell you or what i'm trying to do with my life because teacher school teaches you that 50% of teachers leave teaching in the first five years, but they don't teach you what to do when you are done teaching. They don't teach you what to do when you've spent enough weekends grading enough papers to drive you to the cardboard, to pack up a whole apartment, get a few too many tattoos, chop off your hair, and start living in a box attached to a car. What then? What now? It's become a chicken and an egg situation, the hair and the job. I mean, I can't cut my hair because I don't have a job and I don't have a job because I can't cut my hair. And yes, I know that isn't true. And yes, I did stop shaving my legs because it makes me feel more like a werewolf by which I mean more like myself. And yes, I do have a small job by which I mean part-time. And yes, it is teaching, but this time rich kids because it pays better, but makes me hate myself. So I didn't want to tell you about it, but there, there's the truth. Does anyone know anyone who
0: is hiring? Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that poem. And once again, that was uh, that was I was looking for a job, and all I got was a new haircut. Um, so, so what do do you think about teaching moving forward? Is it something that you still um, hope to do, um, or is it something that you've kind of given up on? Do you think this is a lull, and you know, in between jobs, or is it something that you want to move to something different?
1: That's a really tough question. Um, I. <laughs> My sister keeps asking me like, okay, well, what salary would get you to go back? And I really, I don't even think it's just about that anymore. I think I started to feel like I didn't fully believe in the way that we were being expected to teach, um, the way public education is set up right now. And so I know I want to teach. That's all I want to do, but maybe in a different way. Um, Mm -hmm. I I worked with middle schoolers and I miss them a lot. Uh, So yeah, I I know that teaching is going to be a part of my life. I just don't know exactly how
0: right now. Yeah, for sure. I've, I've heard that story so much. I mean, my friend uh, Eric Campbell, um, you know, is an amazing teacher and kind of was burned out a while ago. And then, um, you know, Alejandro Escudé is here uh, doing Poetry Spawn poems all the time. And he's got a bunch of poems about teaching and the difficulties of it. Alexis Sears was here and just a couple of months ago, and she was talking about it a lot. I mean, it's something that people love to do, but the the world just makes it so hard. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: thanks so much for sharing that wonderful poem and your perspective. Um, I just, I love the honesty of it and the, and the voice of it. It was great to read and, and great to get that perspective. Thanks for uh, sharing that and for being a guest.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. once was that
0: was uh, Jen Gata Gupta with, I was looking for a job and all I got was new haircut. Uh, we have another poem that's going to be featured tomorrow. And Devin Balwit is the author. Devin can't be here. Um, she was writing about this article at the New York Times. Which kind of relates, and I can't put it up because I don't have a subscription to the New York Times. But I can't even read the title right now. They want me to subscribe. the The, the title is um, it's about worker productivity tracking and all the great lengths that employers are going through to follow and monitor what everybody does. Here's what Devin Ballwitz says about it. Uh, put this on screen. Um, Devin says, um, both this week's New York review of books and today's New York Times contain scary stories of how workers are being surveilled at work. Not just Amazon or Uber workers, but office workers and so-called professionals. This goes way beyond what websites they are viewing and how quickly they are keyboarding. iMotion, taking photos of their faces and posting them to the team, paying them based on some opaque productivity algorithm rather than the salary... I read the New York Review of Books article through, but abandoned the Times article when it told me that as I was reading, this type of software would be running, and I would receive my own productivity score at the end. Uh, This has made me think of what it would be like to read poetry under such conditions. And then here's this uh, very creative poem that Devin came up with, You Are Being Tracked. Let's give it a listen.
2: You are being tracked as you read this poem. At the end you will be given a productivity score, the measure of how deeply you engaged with the content. Did your gaze rest on the clever line breaks? Did you notice the assonance, the consonance? Did you have more than one tab open at a time? Did you skim? The camera, please uncover it, will take pictures of your face at intervals so the program can evaluate your emotive response. Is there more disdain than appreciation? Is there jealousy? You will see how your score compares with that of other readers Upon finishing, you will be directed to the poet's home page where the best readers know how to show love. Be aware that any complaints or evidence of noncompliance will prohibit you from future involvement with this sight
0: and that was a uh being tracked by devin Balwit. it's a very fascinating poem that's going to be the poem of the day tomorrow now we're going to take a quick break and we're going to go to our main guest we're going to talk about poets express the wonderful project um, that gary fine um set up um years ago and elizabeth s wolf was working with so um sit tight and we will be right back with more uh, Rattlecast. Back. Thanks so much for your patience. Um, as I mentioned, uh, the, the, the theme for this week is Prisoner Express, which was the tribute that we did in this summer's issue. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful program. Um, it's been running for 23 or oh so years, maybe 20 years um, out of the Durland Alternatives Library in Ithaca, New York. Um, Elizabeth S. Wolfe um, used her chapbook, Did You Know, as part of the project and used that to generate a whole bunch of chapbooks that, that people um, that, are, that are writing in prisons wrote and shared with her. And we pulled some of the poems out of that project to make our summer issue. Um, and one of the poems is right here. We'll start out reading this one. Um, this is Behind the Wall by Corey Lamming. So This is a good start to a, little, a good introduction to what we're going to be doing here. Behind the Wall. Some men live for others and make their presence known. Some men live in isolation and choose to live alone. Some men live for justice and walk inside the law. But of these men, the group I'm in is the men behind the wall. We've given up our freedoms. We've sacrificed our rights. But by day we walk in darkness while sorrow fills our nights. We've learned to hide our teardrops, but still these teardrops fall. We walk alone, lost in our past, the men behind the wall. Some have lost our family, most have lost our friends. Today will bring a heartbreak that only time can mend. When letters are not answered and no one takes our calls, we count the cost when all is lost, the men behind the wall. Our past forever hidden, our futures far away, our story has been written with nothing left to say. No one to stand behind us and catch us when we fall. The debts we make are never paid for us behind the wall. And that was Corey Lamming with uh, Behind the Wall, one of the poems from this Prisoner Express project. Um, and here we have the two two people who were behind the project and made this start. So, first we have Gary Fine, who for the last 25 years has been working at the Durland Alternatives Library in Ithaca, New York. Um, the library's collection provides alternative perspectives on current social issues, and it is free and open to everyone. He has used his time at the library to develop the Prisoner Express program and help fulfill the library's mission uh, to provide for underserved populations. And then we also have Elizabeth S. Wolf here. She's the author of several chapbooks, um, What I Learned, Poems from Finish Line, Finishing Line Press, and then Did You Know, which was one of the winners of the Rattle Chapbook Prize a few years ago, like we mentioned. She also has a new book coming out, which she can tell us about in a little bit. But uh, here they are, both Gary Fine and Elizabeth S. Wolf. Hey, how are you both doing?
3: Hello,
0: um so let's start I guess with uh with Gary. Um Gary do you want to explain just for people who haven't read the issue um how Prisoner Express came to be and how your how your work at the at the Drury Alternatives library um turned into Prisoner Express.
4: Sure. Um I'll try to make it short cuz I can go on and on about it but basically it just came about from getting a single letter from a prisoner asking for books. And I sent him some books and The reaction I got was over the top. This changes my life. I'm in solitary confinement. All I have is pen, paper, and books. And from there, I started sending a number of people books. and, And everybody who got books or was writing me would write back the same thing. I'm going crazy. I hate everybody around me, especially people who look different than me. Mail is the most important thing in my life. And that I can never tell people how I really feel, because if I share my real feelings, it will be used against me. And I couldn't write to individuals because there were too many people after a while to write to individuals. So I started a project where I give them a theme to write on, a topic every month. It could be family, it could be catastrophe, it could be miracles, whatever, you know, just a different subject. And if you wrote on something, then you would get a packet of everybody who else wrote on that subject. And I was surprised because I thought the writing was going to be really therapeutic. And I know it was, but it was actually reading each other's writing that I think the real profound changes happened because people in prison, their thoughts are going around and around in their head all the time. And sometimes almost like flushing a toilet. It's like round and round, these thoughts that are just down. And when they read each other's writings, they go, oh yeah, exactly. Right? Like all of a sudden it's like a brotherhood, a sisterhood. It's like, oh yes, exactly. And so the tones change from, I hate everybody around me, you know, especially people who are different colors and races than me to like, oh, that person sounds just like me. Or they went from, I thought I was going crazy, but I'm in a crazy making place. That person and that person, that person, everything they said is what I'm feeling. And the most heartening was like, oh, I really appreciated that person sharing their story and what was going on for them. I want to share what's going on for me. And from there, people started just sending in poetry. I had no idea that people in prison spent lots of time writing poems. Now I'm, I'm very aware because I've been doing it for years. But we just started getting lots of poetry and the students who volunteer and work with me saw the poetry and they liked it and they started putting together the first anthology of what they liked. And after the first anthology came out, we're on anthology 26 or 27 right now, every six months they come out. But after the first one came out, we changed it to be a program and we said, if you send us a poem or as many poems as you want, you get a copy of the next anthology. You may or may not be in it, but you get a copy of it. And then just to lead into how Elizabeth came to be part of it, I was very fortunate that Elizabeth's daughter came to work at the library and we were doing a book club of *Slaughterhouse House Five. Mm. And her daughter started just the same time we were mailing out 500 copies of the book. And she said, oh, I would love, she's a very enthusiastic, good working woman, right? And she said, oh, I would love to help lead this. And she had actually met Kurt Vonnegut once in a bagel place or something when she was a little kid. So she had this real strong feeling for it. And so we did this book club and it was really fun. And all of our stuff is like call and response. And we send out the book with lots of interesting, critical thinking questions. And then Samantha read the answers and put together a packet of the most interesting responses that prisoners had to our questions about the book and some kind of way right after that she hooked elizabeth in and said well mom you got a book right you want to do something with it and maybe i could let elizabeth talk about how she then got involved yeah elizabeth why don't
0: you jump in and, and finish that story from your perspective so how how you got involved with uh with prisoner express here
5: well the uh the slaughterhouse five book club was really awesome samantha was very excited about that and then gary was telling her you know it's time to come up with your own project next and one of the great things about the Rattle Chapbook Contest is you send out uh, seven, eight thousand copies of the chapbook, which is amazing, but kind of saturates the market. Yeah, a little bit, and then you get five hundred copies. So I've been teasing my daughter for years that this was her legacy—that I had these boxes of copies of books. And I don't—I didn't have the full five hundred, but you know, we still had several. So after. Gary had suggested she come up with a next project and gee, you know, it'd be great if we did something with poetry. She said, well, I know a poet and she suggested that I donate copies of my book. And I, I, I have to say initially, I did not think it would go over that well. I didn't think it was going to really be a hit with this population. Um, but she convinced me to give it a try. And we wrote that little blurb to go out in a newsletter And over 300 people signed up. So in the end, I donated 350 copies of the book. I think 320 something went out with, and it went with the assignment. So with the assignment, we talked a little bit about what chapbooks are and why they are what they are. And then we gave four writing prompts. Um, And this was during, during early COVID. So everybody was in lockdown. And we started getting chapbooks back immediately, which I thought meant we'd done a wonderful job with the assignment until Gary said, well, these people don't have anything to do. Then I realized, oh, yeah, that's why they're coming back immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it was really something. And there was a a wide range of work that came back. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Why don't we read read a poem here? What do you want to start with from your list?
5: Well, I picked from my list some things that, that you didn't put in, so you can get some idea of what else there was. But I will read Womb to Tomb. Yeah, great. It's by James Newman, and his collection was Rhyme is the Least of My Crimes. And you may get a cat wandering in if you don't see her already. So this is Womb to Tomb. Conditioned for doom from mother's womb to prison tomb, Rejected joy, mistreated toy, he's society's damned. Evil ploy, kill sweet boy and destroy everything which makes a good man. Cannot gauge explosive rage, seething down inside. Will he blow? Hell, who knows? Maybe all should hide. Damaged goods, misunderstood. Could he have been saved? Backwards glance, there was slight chance now entirely depraved home is hell cold dark cell prophecy fulfilled no repent for life ill spent time slowly does it kill confinement tomb to earth's dark womb awaiting lord's day of doom
0: yeah thanks for sharing that it was uh, by james newman womb to tomb um and elizabeth so I, w- I wanted to ask you about this. Um, you know, your book, Did You Know, for, I think a lot of people that are listening have probably read it, um, but it's a book about a family sort of secret that is sort of hidden for very long and then becomes exposed. And it's not maybe on the surface the kind of chapbook you think would resonate with people in prison. It doesn't seem like that kind of topic maybe, um, but, it, but it did apparently. Do you think there's anything about that subject matter that, 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 or the way you write that fit with, uh, that, that made people appreciate it?
5: I got a lot of people who wrote letters with their chapbooks. And so they'd write me a couple lines or a paragraph and they connected with the dysfunctional family. They connected with um, being separated from the family and then being pulled back in. Um, and it was interesting because the majority of the responses that I got were from men. And uh, the book, my book was definitely written from a woman's perspective and more about how things changed for women over the years. So that was another thing I wasn't quite sure of, but they, they definitely got it. They definitely got the, the powerless of being a kid in a dysfunctional family. So I think that resonated more strongly than I expected.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's move over to Gary. And, um, and Gary, one thing I want to ask you was that, um, why do you think that um, you know, people in prison are drawn to poetry in particular? Um, you know, with all so many forms of writing, we've gotten submissions from Poets in Prison for, for a very long time. Just a regular thing. We publish a poet in prison at least once or twice a year before we even did this uh, this issue. W- what do you think is it about poetry that makes it so vibrant within the prison system?
4: Well, that's a good question. I, I, I think that people struggle with finding their humanity and possibly poetry is a real short form in kind of trying to express something deep and primal in a kind of simple way so anybody can do it i think that lots of people also dream of being rap stars or or having a career and so poetry is rap it's just we don't hear the music that's going with it so a lot of them are thinking of it that way and i just think that of all the things it isn't just poetry it's like you're either going to be creative or you're going to be numb like there's not a lot of options there and so when people are given the opportunity to be creative and know that people might even listen to what they're like somebody's paying attention it's like that is a giant carrot right like to to be going for because you're so isolated and just knowing that people are paying attention. So I have a feeling it's our paying attention to people that is what draws out a lot of their creativity. It's there, but it's knowing somebody cares that seems to give it that extra oomph.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just, I mean, the thing that I think about all the time is just how much that must help with people after they get out of prison, um, absolutely, and, and that's really the thing for me that makes it such a such a valuable project that you do. I mean, not just with poetry, but with all the the ways that you help people communicate. And you know, over the years, we've published people who. Um, you know, they, they write to me letters and they say, like, this is the only reason I'm still alive. This is the only reason when I got out, I'm not going right back to what I used to do because I love poetry and this means something to me and gives something of value in my life. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that, about how, how it, it helps people move on from the things that got them into prison in the first place?
4: well first i'd say just the fact that you published an issue tribute to prisoner express and i'm going to get like a couple hundred copies to mail it into the prisons like you mentioned to me in an early email you're going to hear from all kinds of people because the book is going to move all around and when people see their name or the name of somebody they know or that somebody from prisoner express is getting published it it incentivizes everything right because again I'll mail things to people. It'll be a form letter about something. And then later I'll be reading a journal entry where they go, Oh, it was a great day. I got mail. And I realize a piece of mail they're talking about is some form letter. It's it's hard to understand the deprivation and how the littlest gifts can mean so much always in prison. Right. And so, so we can do very little to affect great change because it means so much when you have so little and some of the people, like, again, it's really nice for the 5 or 10 or 20 people we highlight today who will turn out to be exceptional poets. But I'm really looking at the other 400 people as well who are writing because they're getting something really strong from it. And when like people say to me when they get out, especially, I don't have that much contact with people when they get out because people want to forget everything they ever did in prison as soon as they get out. They think they want to be connected, but what they tell me, the ones who contact me is like, oh, man, I want to get as far from there as possible. But what the thing that stuck with me is Dave Gordon said, he said, you know, I thought what I was writing might have been good. He says, but really, I was just getting practice and telling my story. And now that I'm out and I've had 20 years of practice telling my story, I feel like I'm really in a place where I can communicate well with people about it. So so all of this is communication skills, it's listening skills, it's critical thinking skills, and it's and it's distraction not, it's more than distraction. It's focusing on something positive and meaningful, whether it be learning chess, learning to draw, draw, writing, reading about some science topic that interests you. It's all stuff that focuses your mind in a direction that makes the, the horror, the dystopia of prison sort of fall away for a while, which is actually sort of refreshing. So we're giving people a little recreation for their spirit and soul, when they can let prison disappear by being engaged and stuff, and and clearly poetry, clearly poetry works. And and I know you publishing you. I don't think you can imagine the effect. I know because I get the letters of prisoners seeing their poems in a magazine that other people are reading. It's uh, it's beyond belief. And just and even for the people who aren't published, knowing that other people are gives them the incentive to do more writing themselves. So I really appreciate your publication. And I know how much it's affected for the better, the people that I work with.
0: Yeah, well, we just love what you do and we're so glad that we could participate in it. For the longest time, um, you know, we have extra copies of issues sitting in a warehouse and I'm like, how can we find a productive way to use these that don't, you know, so we have a program where we let give classroom sets to teachers of different issues we've done and, you know, you can get rid of 30 at a time that way um, and, and put them to good use, but to be able to give a whole, you know, several hundred all at once to people who will really appreciate them is, is just a, a, really, it's an honor to be
4: able to do it. Um, I just want to say one thing, it's not only the publications, but you and Elizabeth wrote little letters or uh, with some information about poetry. That is gold, right? Like it's gold to the people who are getting it because they don't have, and I get that letter from them. I'm so glad to see something contemporary. I'm so glad to hear about these forms of poetry. I don't, I want to do this. I don't have the information. So when you provide not only the poetry, but the letters, it's really deep, you know, and it seems simple, right? It's a couple of words from you guys, not simple, but not so much. But the effect of it is is much bigger than we can see.
0: Yeah, I love the way you've streamlined the way you can do so you can have the biggest effect, even though you have a tiny yeah. staff and so little support. It's just it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Elizabeth, can we talk a little bit about. Um, what it's like to receive the, the poems and the chapbooks. Like, what are the styles like? What are the subject matter like? I mean, you've read so many. How many chapbooks did you get?
5: I think in the end, it was around 60-something. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them we didn't say we were going to publish or make available because there was, there was content that was questionable. But most of them we did. Um, I got them in batches of 10 or 15 after they'd been checked in and, and came through Prisoner Express. And there was, first there was a huge range um, and there were the letters that came with each one. So the letters, they were thanking us for, for doing this, for do- making a comment about my book. I did write a little bit about um, a few forms that were simple. I don't usually write forms, but, but they wanted to have the option. Um, some people said it was great that they didn't have to because they felt they could express themselves and some of them were rap. Um, and some people really appreciated getting that uh, instruction or examples. I got a lot of um, I got a lot of love poems to, uh, lovers to parents, to children, to friends, to grandmothers. I got some completely creative, you know, definitely wanted escape. There was a magical shopping cart that went on adventures. Um, there was a day in the life of a stewardess who uh, you know went into outer space. There were all sorts of just I wanna I want to leave this little cell for today. Um, there were family stories. There was a lot about addiction and um, mental health challenges. There's a lot of really raw stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to read. But what I did as I read is I tagged poems that really stuck out to me, whether it was great poetry or whether it was communicating a real authentic feeling. And I wrote notes on them. So then I could send feedback back to each poet that spoke to specific poems that they had submitted in their collection. Mm-hmm. And I made sure that I commented on poems in the beginning, middle, and end, so that I, they knew I had read the entire thing and didn't just read the first two and then skim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sent those comments back, and they went back to the prisoners. Yeah. Um, and I have gotten some mail from them, from people who got those letters. There was one guy uh, whose book absolutely blew me away. He was uh, sentenced to uh, it was either 120 or 130 years when he was 15. He's now been in prison for 30 years. And um, I wrote him a letter just to say how much his chat book touched me and that I was going to try and do something with it. And he wrote me back to say, to thank me and say he had no idea whether that was going to resonate at all with anybody who was on the outside. Mm-hmm. So just as I didn't think that the prisoners were going to relate to my book, he didn't think that anybody on the outside was going to relate to his book. Yeah. So it was really interesting to, to crack open that perspective and see what we had in common more than what we had apart. hmm
0: um well let's read the next poem here. Um you have the end or dead end by uh, Robert Andrew Bartlett who's a poet we published in uh in the uh issue of Rattle but it, this is a different poem so I'm looking forward to hearing it.
5: All right. This is Dead End and his uh chapbook was called Secret Indictments. Turn left at the ranch house with the colored squares just beyond the bridge over the state highway. There's grass there and scattered lawns and unmowed fields. The cow pastures of Bowler's Farm scattered when the state ran the highway through the middle. Continue through the woods till the road curves right. Past the playground, bench and bathhouse on your left. A short dirt road to nowhere on the right side. Another road ascends steeply through the trees to Federal Furnace Road near the bus stop. Mountain Park Road continues to loop the pond, but the pavement turns left on Burgess Road, lined with wooden houses with smoking chimneys. Three doors down, past my family's home, Burgess Road, like my life, goes downhill and comes to a dead end.
0: Yeah, what a what a heartbreaking ending to that poem. Um, you know, like my life goes downhill and comes to a dead end. Yeah, wow, that's powerful. I had Um,
5: another one from him next, if you want
0: to. Yeah, yeah,
5: let's do that, that too. Um, This is a triolet, which is one of the forms that I gave because I could easily explain the rules. Second trial. Indictment threatened 20 years. Judge Bullock gave me life. Fulfilling Bobby's deepest fears. Indictment threatened 20 years. A doctor studied Becky's tears. Cops slept with my wife. Indictment threatened 20 years. Judge Bullock gave me life.
0: Yeah, yeah, great triolet there, too. That was a Second Trial by Robert Andrew Bartlett, Sr. Um, So um, if anybody has any questions for either Gary or Elizabeth, um, feel free to share them in the chat windows, either on YouTube or Facebook, and I will pass them along. Um, already, Alan Harvey asks um, if you could describe the actual chapbooks. Um, were they were they photocopies or actual published books, or any other form? Did you use your own money or get a grant? Uh, this is fantastic, he says. Uh,
5: the chapbooks we sent out were the rattle chapbooks. The chapbooks we got back were handwritten on a variety of things. Um, they were in composition books, they were legal pads, they were notebook scraps. they were anything they could get their hands on in various handwritings. And uh, Gary can answer this, but I believe Samantha did get a grant for the postage.
4: Yes, that's right. So we have a we use small grant.
0: Uh, Gary, you're breaking up. Can you maybe turn off your video? Because then you'll uh, be clear.
4: It's better. You're yeah. better now.
0: So we can't see you, but your voice is actually clear. So that's, that's a better some, way to do it. Uh, yeah.
4: The, the other thing I just wanted to address really quickly when Elizabeth talked about, the it's a common phenomena that I was so surprised when I first, I thought, well, they're doing these prisoners a favor. You know, they're, they're, they're reaching out, they're doing a service project that's going to look good on their resume. But it was really clear really on in this exchange of letters, whether they be exchanging poems or stories, that the students were touched easily as deeply as the prisoners were by the shared stories that they told each other. And at the heart of this is understanding the humanity that we commonly share, because this out of sight, out of mind thing is easy to forget prisoners, but they're going to get back on the street. And if they come out crazier, more warped, more isolated than they went in, it's a losing proposition for everybody. So this kind of connection makes a real difference. They don't forget it. They they feel, oh, somebody cares about me. And that's enough to, for them to care about somebody, right? Like if nobody ever cares about you, it's harder mm-hmm. to give care. But If you feel cared for, it's easy to give care.
0: Uh, Gary, can you talk at all about um, what kind of um, programs they have? Do they have any kind of, you know, other writing programs in the prisons? Um, Any access to any kind of resources, libraries? Absolutely.
4: Um, But I I can talk about it. And to say... It's different everywhere. It's Mm -hmm. different state by state. It's different within states. It's different by the level of custody that you're on. So we do really well with the people who have access to nothing, right? Because we're a goldmine for them. You know, other places where there, and COVID shut everything down, like Elizabeth said. So even if there were programs at your prison, it all got shut down. Visitation got shut down. All the, All things out of the cell got shut down, so prisons went on lockdown, especially in the early phases of COVID when we did this. But some prisons have classes, especially cognitive kind of behavior classes or, you know, um, a lot of religious groups would like to go into prisons and proselytize and talk about, you know, how to save your soul. GED is always in prisons, but that's the problem is you get your GED and then everything disappears. Mm -hmm. There's no services for you. And then people who were in for a long time, there's nothing for them. Often like your last two years of prison as they think you're getting closer to getting out. They start offering you some classes and getting along with people or taking responsibility or stuff like that. But basically, basically people are sitting and doing nothing, unfortunately, right? Basically... Hopefully that's going to change because it's just too stupid a system to keep going. But, you know, basically people are just being warehoused.
0: Hmm. Um. Kimberly McNeil was wondering about the, um, the gender disparity that uh, Elizabeth mentioned. And I, to me, I, I assume that's just because I think like 90 something, 95 percent of um, people in prison are men. Right. So is that the reason why there's a gender disparity? Do you get do you get work from women, too?
4: I do. And it's interesting because the women are like celebrities in the program. Like when we publish stuff like that, definitely <laughs> like Catherine LaFleur is the most popular writer in our program. And I get so many letters about her writing, you know, and, and people copy her and they, they are inspired by her. And so some of the women are, are leaders in our program. But right. I mean, if it's 90 to 10, right, like in terms of men and women, unfortunately, the women's population is growing. So I don't know if you know, maybe that's one of the things about, you know, female liberation is women are getting in as much crazy trouble as men are and that they're also going to prison for long periods of time. So, unfortunately, you know, we do hear from women and they do contribute a lot and uh, and the men love having them in the program. Right. It's really both of them like each other. Right. It, it, it because. They're isolated. You can imagine being a young man or a young woman and never seeing people of the opposite sex, and especially not hearing their thinking processes. So <laughs> it's really healthy for them to share, you know, share that. And if people go online and look at our newsletter, yes, on our website, PrisonerExpress.org, we have lots of writing. And also, if they go online, PrisonerExpress.org, and click on our archive, there's thousands of poems on our archive they could read by men and women, thousands of, you know, there's lots of artwork they can look at. So there's many ways that people can check this out on their own. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, because I'd found your website before. Um, Elizabeth had even started doing this, because I was looking for places to send books. And um, it was one of the things that was sort of already on my radar. There are a few programs like this, not many, but but a handful of them. Um, Books Behind Bars, I think, is another one. Um, and it's just, it, they're just wonderful programs. So you can go to prisonerexpress.org, which is what you see on here, um, to see these newsletters and, and, and art from prisoners and all sorts of things like that. Um, you can also volunteer, um, there's an, you can enroll in the newsletter yourself. You can send a package of books to prisons, all sorts of things. So do check that out at uh, prisonerexpress.org Um, Elizabeth, let's do a few more poems. Um, I want to make sure we get, I, I'd like to do all the poems that you sent if possible. So let's do uh, a couple poems.
5: All right. right. So next, you're going, you're going through the, uh, the what yeah, I sent you, right? Yeah, let's
0: just do the order that you had them.
5: Okay, so uh, next I have Probably by John Albert Caspar, and his collection was Using an Ink Pen to Escape My Cage. So this is Probably. I write poetry because of an air conditioner. I started writing because of visual aesthetics. I will continue writing to change your world, to change the world of the archaeologist who discovers my writings, buried under the nuclear waste of what was once your house. They'll think these writings are scripture. My poetry book, your Bible, it will be a pop-up future experience. Just write. Poetry starts in your stomach. Go over a waterfall in your poetry book. Tell Dr. Mangali poetry is your twin. When we're done entertaining, go on a hunger strike to oppose hunger strikes. We'll write poetry in their blood. If you ask whose, then probably yours.
0: Hey, another great ending. Uh, it's two poems back to back with great endings. That was on Probably by John Albert Kaspar.
5: All right. You want uh, Is That a Bug in My Drink, which we did publish. In the rattle, but this is the uh, the uncut version yeah. by Frank Olms from his collection, The Poetry and Prose of Prison. It's kind of my Shell Silverstein poem. Is that a bug in my drink? I went to the mess hall and sat down to eat grits and potato and some kind of meat. The meat in a gravy sauce looking so fine. Some called it turkey. I called it mine. Mechanically separated, ooh, sounds so painful. Served up by a sergeant so loud and disdainful. Two kinds of drink come up with this meal, neither of which has any appeal. The white drink, I'm sure, is of some ilk. Some say it's soy, while others say milk. But the colored one, the origin of which, not really sure, but it smells like thine pitch. Then the sergeant yelled, do not talk. I sipped at the white drink, it tasted like chalk. But the colored one, a hues that can change, also contained a creature so strange. I did lift it out with my red plastic spork, as the powers that be, trust us not, with a fork. I dropped it into a section of tray near a dollop of grits like a mountain of hay. It stood on six legs, so I know it's a bug. It coughed and it sputtered and started to chug. It coughed and it choked and I began to think the little bug had too much of that drink. And the bug said, well, I'm so little and life's such a gift. I really appreciate getting that lift. Well, I stirred the meat and gravy and tater and told the bug I'd talk to it later. But it asked of the grits. I said they're not bad i'd like them more baked broiled or fried but it took a taste and said that i I lied it laid on its stomach and then on its side and from the grits the little bug died then the large sergeant yelled everyone's through i picked up my tray then ate the bug too
0: yeah it's a wonderful poem so fun from uh Frank olms is that a bug in my drink? And we had two poems from Frank in the uh, issue. Um, Elizabeth, you've been you've been doing uh, readings with the Prisoner Express um, poems um, for a while. Can you explain that about about where it is that you're doing that and and what has the reception been?
5: Um, I've been doing that. I'm part of some uh, local groups. I'm in Massachusetts, north of Boston, and so we have a pretty good uh, poetry life going on around here. I'm part of a uh, open mic group, the Merrimack mic, and we have contacts with all these other groups. And so I had talked about this project, and people thought it was interesting, and it was pandemic, so everything was Zoom. Um, so I was invited to read some of the poems from the prisoners and talk about the project. And it w- we got a really amazing response, and I actually, um, I kept some of the comments from the Zooms, and I posted them on the Prisoner Express blog. And people were really impressed at at what came out and how much that we could all relate to each other. Uh, we did a live reading in Lynn at a cafe. Samantha came and we read together at that one, and she talked more about Prisoner Express, and we each read some of the poems. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think we did maybe four of these readings. Mm-hmm. And we actually were scheduled to be at the Boston Book Festival last year, but alas, COVID happened and and that didn't.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Have you gotten any, um, we talked about this with Gary in the interview, but the the issue of working with people who've done terrible things, um, you know, a few of the poems we've published, people have emailed and said, did you Google this guy? Do you know what he did? And I don't, I mean, I I try not to let that, um, you know, judge anything on other, except for what, the poem is in front of me, but it's a hard thing to do. It's a really complicated topic. Um, have you gotten any any pushback for, for working with uh, with this population because of that issue?
5: I did not get any pushback. I I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of prepped ahead in case we did. I did not Google anybody's name. Um, I don't want to know.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: That wasn't the purpose of the project. So... And when I read some of them, I would say, I'm reading their poem in their voice. I'm not a fact checker. I didn't go look anything up. I don't know, you know what the other side of the story is. That's not the point here. We gave them an opportunity to express themselves, and this is what they said. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get any pushback after that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just my response, too. But it is, I mean... I don't know that the, the idea of, of punishment versus rehabilitation is such an important and, and complicated topic. I mean, we have this sort of innate sense of justice where we want people to suffer in a way for their crimes. And so mm-hmm. it's hard to. Um, and it's one of the reasons why there's so little support, I think, for people in prisons, because we have that innate drive to like see people pay and you can relate to people who feel that way. I mean, it makes sense. Um, Gary, do you have anything else to say about that topic?
4: is we're about rehabilitation and about addressing the pain of the human experience by kind of make atonement is to grow, right? The only way you can ever change is to grow. We don't want to take somebody who did something wrong and beat them down so bad that they disappear. I guess maybe some people do, but if they're getting enlist, that's expensive and it's cruel. And so we don't want to become expensive and cruel people. Like, we want to, we want to affect change that transcends. So I I understand. I've gotten the same thing. Horrible stories that people write me about. You know what this guy did to my son? And I'm like, you know, we're not trying to glorify anybody in prison. In fact, when you talk to people in prison, I mean, TV and the media does glorify it. Mostly it's boring. Mostly it's depressing. Mostly it's numbing, right? There's not people who nobody wants to be there. Hardly, you know, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, um, your audio is breaking up for a little bit, but I think it's better now. So while it's, it's okay, let me ask, uh, pass on a question. This is from Jimmy Poppas. He says, uh, do you think that the private contractors for prisons is a good or bad idea? Oh. I've always felt that uh, that is part of the problem. They need more prisoners to make money.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's self-evident. It's self-evident that there's absolutely nothing to be gained by commodifying the prison experience so somebody can make money on it. There's, there's, no, there's no way you're going to show me it is a good thing. I can't think it's we do it better than the government. If we can provide rehabilitative services cheaper than the government. Well, maybe, but that's a lame, it's lame. Then we need a better system for treating our citizens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, there's so many things that just shouldn't be privatized, and, and that's, that's one right. of them, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, let's hear some more poems, Elizabeth. I want to make sure we do we cover a, a good number of them.
5: All right. So I have next Amour by Charles Higgins. It's a short poem, but my thought when I read this is every, every line of this could be the, the line of the next stanza. Amour. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Her image is a mirror of mine. She's a soldier. Driven by a vision with a chip on her shoulder. Love is a given. I just wish I could hold her.
0: And that was a more by Charles Higgins. Um, and let's do, uh, do you wanna do Redemption next?
5: All right. And Redemption by Scott Madeley. I think that's how you say it. This is from Burnt. Uh, one of his other poems, maybe two of his other poems. I think at least one are in the rattle. This is <laughs> Redemption. To redeem oneself, to buy back, to recover by payment, to recover by doing something, to clear a debt, to purchase the freedom of, to save from damnation, to save from the consequences of sin, to make up for deficiencies, to make up for one's former faults, redemption.
0: Yeah, redemption by Scott Maudelet, who uh, also has a poem in uh, in Rattle but a different one. Um, And then next we have uh, Lust and Love.
5: Lust and Love, Andre Underwood. We do have a poem of his. Uh, This is from his collection, Take Pleasure from Pain, which was also beautifully illustrated. A lot of these people also sent me artwork. Lust and Love is a triolet. As we lay entangled in scarlet satin sheets, chasing lust and love, I look into her eyes. I listen to her body as it silently speaks as we lay entangled in scarlet satin sheets, me dominating her, she caressing me. She says that she loves me. She caught me by surprise. As we lay entangled in scarlet satin sheets, chasing lust and love, I look into her eyes.
0: It was uh, Andre Underwood with lust and love. Um, can you speak to anything that you've you've learned in the process of doing this about poetry itself? Like have the have all these chapbooks that you read taught you something about maybe about honesty or, or something like like something that you're drawn to? Is there anything like that that you've learned about your own writing in the process?
5: It's funny because when I was reading these one of the issues came out and I don't remember who you were interviewing Tim but you were talking about authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I was realizing that one of the reasons that these chapbooks rang so true is it was all the the voice of authenticity. Nobody was pulling anything back. They're already in prison. <laughs> um, so I already wrote a chapbook that pretty much laid it all out there. But I, I did learn that, you know, the the poems that really speak to us are the ones that are honest, no matter what it is you're talking about, it can be personal, it can be the news poem, it can be persona poem, it can be anything. But you can tell when the voice is authentic and honest to the experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really got out of these multiple chat books on multiple topics from multiple different people was really the authenticity made it. So that's what made every one of them engage it
0: mm-hmm yeah yeah that's i mean that's the thing reading submissions is just the there's that line about the two solitudes touching completely from uh whoever mm-hmm. is that rilke um and that's just what you do you listen for for that authenticity of someone else's soul being open for a, a rare time because usually it's not i mean usually we're guarded and closed off and we're um you know, even, you know, talking, we're talking in cliches so often and using other people's words for, you know, opinions that are are not authentic to ourselves. That happens so often, too. And sort of hear some real authenticity. Like, we have an ear for it. We love hearing it um, just as human beings. And so that's what we always look for in poems, too. So it's interesting to hear you say that. That's how I felt, too, reading the submissions. Um, let's see. So there's a little bit of time left. Um, one last poem, I think, we have, right?
5: Yes. I have buy to Tray" from John Date, from his collection was Social Rubicon. By to Trey. Run, Trayvon, run, and don't look back. Neighborhood watch is coming. You're too hood with your hoodie. So run, Trayvon, run from whatever it is they claim, right or wrong, my hooded child. Keep out of sight for at least tonight. Your presence is a threat to whites. So run, Trayvon, run away from the injustices happening, away from those damn singing rallies held in your remembrance, only to be forgotten by the courts. So run, Trayvon, run. Run away as fast as you can. Run into a grave dug by your ancestors' cowardice that stopped you dead in your tracks. Run Trayvon. Damn it, boy. Run. Wish you could still. Bye, little brother.
0: Yeah, another beautiful one that's bye to Trey by John Dates from his uh, chapbook Social Rubicon. Um, have you can you can you talk a little bit before we leave about what you're doing now? About um you're you're moving forward with more um with Prisoner Express. Um and what is it that you're doing?
5: Well, uh I talked this up in some of my local groups, and they wanted to know how they could get involved. So with the first batch of rattle that was donated, we came up with an assignment to write a response poem. So we talked about what a response poem is and gave an example. And then I have signed up uh, my usual writing group and one from an adjacent town and a backup one from a little bit further down the road. Um, and what we're going to do is, we're going to share these responses. We've asked for response poems in batches of up to four. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as big a commitment as as the chat books. Um, and what we promise to do on our part is to read each one, to respond personally to the prisoners on, on the poems that they send, and then we're going to send them into rattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, And last time I talked to Gary, he had at least 50 responses and they were coming in daily. So uh, given the success of the last project, we expect there will be a lot of response.
4: A few more coming in and it just piles up. It's very exciting to the prisoners that somebody, individuals are going to read their poem and give them comments about it. People who are poets. I mean, again, it's not that big a deal if you're out in the free world and you talk to your friend who's a poet and you share a poem. But where they are, it's a big deal. And they really appreciate it.
0: So, uh, Gary, for for anybody who's uh, watching and wants to help out, um, what can people do to help support Prisoner Express?
4: Well... We always, of course, are looking for donations while we try to make everything as inexpensive as possible. We have over 4,000 men and women participating in our projects, so any mailing that we do to all of them already can cost you know over $1,000 just in the postage to communicate with them about what we're doing. So, of course, money. There's also on our archive site, there are ways you can write directly to prisoners. And we have a way that you can write and use our address and have us get the letters back. And we have a team of volunteers who will scan your responses back to you. And then we have people remotely who create content. There's somebody in New York City who's creating a meditation packet. There's There was a woman in the Netherlands who created a packet on songwriting, so if anybody thinks, oh, I have something to share, like here's something I'm interested in, it doesn't even have to be original content, it just has to be something you're passionate about, and I can work with anybody in to shape a packet, and then we advertise to the prisoners, oh, who'd like to learn screenwriting, or who would like to learn the history of, you know, the Russian Revolution, or whatever people are interested in, and then, they sign up and so, and all of our packets like call and response. So often they contain critical thinking questions. They take, they contain art prompts, different prompts. So, so that's ways people get involved. We're always looking for donated books. We send out thousands of packages every year of customized book packages to people. That's how we started the program. And now we're much more than that, but we've never given up on this sending out customized packages of books. So those are the ways Mm -hmm. give money, write letters, create content, and and maybe look at our archives. You know, one of the things that is really valuable is that when people read prisoners, the content, they see prisoners as humans. And as citizens, especially the students who work Cornell, but anybody, as citizens, we get called to vote on candidates on issues over time. And when it's out of sight, out of mind, you're never thinking about it. But once you're touched by the humanity of the people in prison, then when you have to look at some of the laws or ways that we're funding social programs and stuff, all of a sudden you become a little more favorable towards social justice, towards equity, because you see the effects of of an unequal system. So so just the self-education of people by connecting to the humanity of humans often has a rippling effect throughout society. So there's many ways people can do absolutely nothing but enjoying reading the stuff and still be doing something good for the world.
0: Yeah, very well said. Thanks Gary and thanks for joining us tonight.
4: Absolutely. I feel honored.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, I I feel honored to have you. Thanks so much for being here. And and before we go Elizabeth, can you uh you you included a few links and you have a new book that's coming out. Um do you want to explain uh, what that is? I mean you're you're a poet that we we love and admire. We want to get that get that stuff out as well.
5: Thank you. Yeah, I gave a link. I have a new book out, collection of partings. Um, Actually, I wrote it based around a quote, Pip, dear old chap, life is made of ever so many partings welded together. Mm -hmm. And that's from Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. So I've been working on it. I had a rough draft before pandemic started It's been rewritten, it's been revised, it's been rewritten, revised, and it just came out. So uh, I gave you links for that. And I'm going to be featured on Spofest, the Spoken Word Fest, uh, I believe it's September 6th, it's after Labor Day. And uh, we'll be raffling away a collection, signed copy of a collection of partings, and we'll be raffling away the rattle with the Prisoner Express. So if you don't already have a copy, come to Spofest and we'll raffle away and I will send you copies of those.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that stuff, Elizabeth. Those uh, links are in the show notes for anybody who wants to check them out um, on YouTube and Facebook. Um, if you're watching later, they will be on the you know Spotify and SoundCloud and stuff um, notes too, if you ever look at those. Um, do you want to close out with one of those poems from that book? Oh,
5: let's see. I can do that. I will close out with the last poem of this book because we were talking about compassion and listening to each other and this is called tell me tell me again about the one-legged vet sitting on a blanket playing the accordion the same song over and over tell me you were five and you thought he was a circus tell me again about your grandfather who danced in vaudeville, whose own mother was ashamed back when vaudeville was risque in the land before porn. Tell me how it was. Tell me all your stories. I wasn't always so patient or willing to listen. I didn't know that I would get older and my life would be stored in slices of stories. I remember when my mother would ask if we should drive by the old house where she grew up on Dorset Road, back when between Wobbin and Framingham was all farms. I didn't listen. I said no. We mocked her later. Dorset Road, Dorset Road, who wants to see Dorset Road? I didn't know then that she could die and it would all be lost. Tell me again what happened while I can still listen before I forget
0: what it means to be kind. Yeah, excellent poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Elizabeth, and congratulations on the new book. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm just—I just always love seeing you. It's great to have you on as a guest to talk about this great project, and and thanks for introducing us to to uh, Prisoner Express.
5: Well, thanks for listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, take care. Have a good night. You too. So that is the show for tonight, or for the for the feature. We will have open lines in just a minute. I'm going to get the uh, links going for the open lines right about now. If you'd like to join us. I will deploy the Open Lines links onto uh, the chat windows on Facebook and YouTube. So uh, feel free. I will pin them to the top. If you have a poem to share, uh, what I would like you to share are poems about current events. Um, You can share poems that have been published recently or the prompt for the week. And the prompt, remember, was to listen to a snippet of conversation um, sometime this week and uh, use that to inspire a poem. Um, so that is the prop for this week so if you'd like to share a poem here's how you do it Um, email me the poem at open mic that's open mic at rattle.com email me the poem there so I can show it on screen as I was showing the other poems before and then join us on this zoom link which I'm about to deploy feel free to join us and I'll be back in just a moment with uh, some open lines thanks Bad Thanks for your patience. As I mentioned, uh, the prop for this week was to pay attention to overheard conversations this week and write a poem inspired by one of the snippets. Um, and I feel very deeply ashamed because I did not finish my poem this week. I have a poem it's like, eh, I don't know. If I had ten more minutes, I would have finished it. I could see the, the end around the corner, but I can't share it when it's not actually done. But Megan is back with a poem this week, so we're always grateful for that. Megan writes amazing poems. It's been a little while. Um, And this is a true story that I definitely, she told me about it when, uh, right after it happened. So I know that this was a poem-worthy moment and then it became a poem thanks to this prompt. So here is Megan's poem for the week. This is uh, right here. This is two mothers walk into a salon. Diva, the glittered sign on the counter says, The chairs in the waiting room are too few and so close together I can feel the smooth arm of the mom sitting next to me. We are waiting for our daughters across the fragranced room. Mine flashes me a grin and a peace sign. The pink haired stylist is asking her who she likes better, Olivia Rodrigo or Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, duh, I think. Taylor Swift, she answers. Another stylist approaches the waiting room with the pained expression of a surgeon about to announce a death. She calls the mom next to me who bolts to her feet, the warmth of her arm leaving its memory on mine. Your daughter has extremely matted hair the stylist says this is going to take days it's going to take going to be a lot it's going to be $500 her tone is a brassy sympathetic is a brassy sympathetic with low lights of accusation and some face framing judgment the mom says i'm a foster parent the stylist nods repeats it's going to be a lot the woman sits back down beside me her arm is cool now Princess, the sign on the wall says, the eye dotted with a tiara. I've been the silent crier often enough to no one. It's none of my business, but it's also nothing if not my business because the deep ache of motherhood is transmissible and she's contagious. I offer a piece of gum like it's a cure. She takes it like she wants to believe it is. As is Megan's poem for this week, two mothers walk into a salon. And now let's see what you have for us. Let's go to, um, let's go to Zachary Honeycut first. Hey, Zachary, how you doing today? Good.
6: How are you, Tim?
0: I'm doing great. And we got you on video again. I don't know what happened last time where it wasn't working, but it is working this time.
6: I don't even know myself, man. My camera wasn't working, and then all of a sudden it was. So I'm just happy to see you all here today on the show. Yeah.
0: Well, a little, a little, uh, a lot of times um, another program like steals camera access. So if you restart your, I've learned this the hard way, but if you restart your computer before, then it'll get to Zoom right away. Um, But anyway, what do you have that you'd like to share?
6: So, I have your favorite, Tim. Uh-huh. I actually have seven poems, seven. but I think you'll let me read most of them because they're mostly haiku. Ah, there we go. Okay.
0: Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> haiku. We have uh, seven haiku here from uh, Zachary. Six haiku,
6: six haiku and one regular.
0: Okay. Six haiku one regular. And yeah, I should say, uh, I think we have... Let's see, seven people are in the waiting room right now. I think we have enough room to read two poems. If anybody wants to read two, as long as they're not too long. So uh, so feel free to read two or a haiku sequence and then another poem. Um, so let's hear the haiku, Zach.
6: All right, yeah. Haiku. The sound of cold feet from a hot, restless bride makes the closed casket quake. Children up at dawn, playing all day until eve a snake in the grass. Premature summer, oh, thief of spring, bold devil, pride comes before fall. Voices all at once, whispers trailing behind them, a fresh perspective. Lions roar upward, roaming on willful pellets, keeping their balance. Waiting for the rain, leaves have straws to quench their thirst. God knew all along. And yeah, a 6
0: IQ from Zachary Honeycutt. And uh, now we have another poem, My God.
6: Yeah, and this kind of just fits in with the whole nature theme tonight and just seeing evidence of, you know, the creator through what he created. This is kind of like the same type of tone, Garden of Eden kind of tone. My God, when I wake up in the morning, what do I see? The flamboyant sun shining brightly, full of mirth and glee. I look out the window and stare at the clear blue skies. I absorb their majesty with newborn eyes. I am awake, and I say, on this magnificently glorious day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As I go up the day, I walk in between black, white, and gray. For the world is rich with an array of color, not too in the black and not two in the white. For the earth is full of mystery, wonder, and hidden delight. There are angels and demons, the unseen hordes, way up in the heavens and down deep below. The light ones cause joy, the dark ones cause woe. Most of the peoples of the earth are blind, for they cannot see that a divine creator created their daily majesty. There is a God. He's my God. He's your God, whether you accept him or not. My soul lives on, leaving my lowly body to rot. There is hope for the earth, to preserve the pureness of the skies, the green of the grass, and the wealth of the seas. In the dark of the night, I get down on my knees. As I take a deep breath of the evening air, I close my eyes to say a silent prayer. I pray for the world as I bow my head, that they open their eyes to the life, for they all are dead. Their body is strong, their spirit weak. The earth shall be inherited by the meek. But I pray my prayer for the proud that deny him and for the decaying earth, that it will return to its health-like birth. The earth needs restoration and we need peace. That is why my silent prayer never seems to cease. Oh, I pity creation for not recognizing its creator, for they are blind and cannot see that their mighty God created all this wonderful majesty. Oh world, there is a God and his essence must be very grand. To have been poured out onto a void of dust that would create this glorious land.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was my God by Zachary Honeycutt. Thanks Zach. A pleasure as always.
6: Yeah. Always a pleasure, man. And I'll see you guys next week. Yep. See you
0: later. All right, let's go to uh Carla Schwartz next.
7: Um, so, okay. I just sent you a second one just in case, and I'm going to read you a prompt poem for tonight. Okay. And, um, just start with, and this is called, uh, My Sister's Monologues, Coded. This was inspired by both the language of coding, like software, and uh, texts and voicemails I've received from my sister. You think you are funny? What did you remove? Do you have the data? You can't just write your own. Look at these lines. One, two, three. Don't ask me to refresh. You can't take what we can't get. You can't take what we can get rid of. You have no right. Do I have to find a lawyer? I know it's a really nice day. Pick up the phone. I command you, please answer my query. Don't ask me to change. Considering you ruined my life, how can you ask what are we fighting for? I'm at a breaking point. I'm physically damaged. This is horrible, of no value, and to what end? I won't just drop it. Every time I sit down, my ankles turn into bowling pins.
0: A very touching one That was my sister's monologues coded. Um, and then and you said you sent another one. Let me see if I it's did, got here. I it just, did. It's right here. Um, this okay. is uh, for what gnaws at you. Do you have anything you want to say about it?
7: Yeah, it's it's in my new chapbook, which is called Signs of Marriage from Finishing Line Press. And, yeah, that's a great
0: title. I love that title.
7: Um, yeah, so it's, you know, kind of like how to deal with things that your mind is chewing on. Mm-hmm. To step onto your paddleboard While seated at the dock, set your board parallel to the dock. Step out into a a crouch, the outside foot followed by the inside, and lift your paddle as you stand up and stroke. Paddle steady, strong. Switch sides when you start to veer off course. For more power, bend your knees as you stroke. Take in the sun. Paddle into the wind. Keep tabs on what comes your way. Boats, loons, waves. As the wind strengthens, stroke even harder. Use your whole body. Be in it until the waves win and turn your board around. Bend your knees. Stand your paddle to the waves. Surf your way back. Does your bad day still trouble you?
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. And once again, that was uh, Carla Schwartz with For What Gnaws at You from her uh, chapbook, Signs of Marriage. Thanks, uh, Carla, for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Um, next, let's go to a first time caller or, or joiner or Zoomer. We have uh, Mary Ann here.
8: Yeah, first time. And this, these two poems were uh, weekly prompts. Uh-huh. One was concerning uh, the heat, which finally we're getting rain in northeast pennsylvania
0: oh that's great and
8: i know and it's it's just very concerning because when you go to the farmer's market they're not that much produce over the weekend we had to pull out half of our garden so there is something wrong going here something that needs to be done i wrote this poem it's called scorched farmers with not much produce going to market Extreme heat is stifling the backyard gardener's joyful returns. Lawns going to a crunchy brown, no lush green carpet to sink your toes into. Evaporated rivers are churning up long lost dastardly deeds amongst the cracked earth. Fires in places where extreme heat doesn't exist, Britannia's dwellings are bursting into flames. Polar ice caps crashing and drifting away, turning to liquid. As polar bears swim with nowhere to find refuge, is this a bad dream from a restless slumber? No. It is the extreme reality currently playing out.
0: Yeah, thanks for those. Scorched. Um, thanks for sharing that. And then you have another one. Um, and this is uh, Mary Ann Abdo. Am I saying that right, yes. Abdo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And then the other one, disposable feelings. Is there anything Disposable you want to feelings. Say about that? Yeah. And
8: with working in a hospital, it, you see a lot of people coming in with more social and mental issues.
0: Mm-hmm.
8: And they're trying to, you know, I need help. So this is my way of saying, you know, we're here for you to help you out. So disposable feelings, not wanting to intrude on your day, asking a question for assistance. Hearing me and not really hearing me at all. Acknowledgement ignored. Words never spoken to express an honest assessment of my thoughts are now gone into obscurity. Yet I stand in front of you as an invisible image that has been tossed aside. Disposable comes to mind like litter on the street. Technology has invaded our society to make human beings not so human hiding behind the masks of glass screens and cell phones, saying and typing what we want without consequence, not realizing feelings are not meant to be disposable, losing the art of human connection and communication, the ability to look into someone's eye and understand the true meaning of their unique humanity is slowly going by the wayside No wonder why deep mental pain is felt by all walks of life. We're not meant to be disposable. Instead, we are meant for appreciation, no matter what we bring to the table of life.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Very important subject matter. You're welcome. Um, Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you could join us and hope you can again sometime soon.
3: Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Take care. Take care.
0: Uh, Next, let's go to uh, Mike Bales.
3: Hello, I had to buy another laptop because I had a long Zoom thing to do with the Rockford Writers Guild. So- well, it's
0: nice. I can actually I can see you. Uh, everything looks good.
3: Yeah, I was a featured artist uh, promoting my books yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was the day before my birthday. Today, today's my birthday, so that was my big birthday gift. Oh, my awesome. bir- Yeah, congratulations. Birthday Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, thanks. Another year survived. Another year, just <laughs> see what happens. Uh-huh. Um, it says prompt on it. I just sent you it a few seconds ago. I Yeah, think it right here. Yep. Um, I, it's a friend, li- a librarian friend. Uh, I hadn't seen her for a while, so I came up and she said, in case you were wondering, so I took that as a snippet of a conversation. I wrote a poem on that. The poem's called, She Says In Case You Were Wondering. She says, in case you are wondering, she was on vacation with her son and daughter in Las Vegas, and I asked her how it was. She said it was warm. She said she just cut three inches off her hair. I tell her she always looks good, reflecting on the years we've shared, and I'm pleased to offer a compliment. I say that a cousin once adopted lives in Las Vegas, but doesn't like it. I say my cousin and I fell out of touch. She messaged that she was busy babysitting her grandkids although she once said she wanted a relationship. My friend and I talk about our children uh, whom I met time and time again and laugh about the time they waved at me. I say that I read my poems in another library and have more programs to do. We talk about books and stories I wrote about haunted libraries and the night she worked when she thought she heard someone. In a heartfelt conversation memories shared find a voice their own
0: yeah excellent thanks so much for sharing that mike that was uh that was as uh, she says in case you were wondering by mike bales thanks so much for sharing that mike okay and let's go to uh dick westheimer next hey tim green hey dick how you doing today
9: i'm doing great i just loved that um Poets Express, and I I forget who it was who pointed out that express had double meaning on the chat, which I hadn't picked up. Hmm. It was, uh, well,
0: I saw that, but I wasn't sure what it meant. Double expression? Like, Uh, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that either. Yeah. Yeah, prisoner yeah. express themselves, and also prisoner express as if it's like delivering poetry into the prisons. Yeah,
9: mm-hmm. That's great. I, I, and, and the yeah,
0: yeah. I've been working with them for you know a year now. I, just, I never noticed that. That's a great title. <laughs>
9: and the, some of the poems were just like terrific, I and mean, it, it was it was great work. Yeah, so.
0: it's the honesty. It really, like uh, Elizabeth said, the honesty is just profound.
9: Yeah, it's terrific. Um, well, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll read two as long as there's still time. Is there? Yeah, I think
0: we had a kind of a,
9: yeah, we have plenty of time. Okay. Um, I sent in one by email, but I think I'd like to read first a little sonnet-like thing called Hunger Stones that I sent in to Poets Respond.
0: Okay. I've got it right here. Go ahead. Explain what it's about first, I guess.
9: Uh, yeah. So there, there are, um, stones that were embedded in the Elbe River specifically, and maybe in some other rivers in Central Europe that, were embedded at times of famine and very low water. And they appeared a number of times in the 15th, 16th, 18th century and twice in the last four years uh, that they, the water has been low enough in those rivers. And it's a serious problem now, especially in Germany, because they can't get, you know, they're they're trying to generate their own electricity, you know, without using Russian gas. Mm-hmm. Can't get coal up to the power plants. Oh wow, I
0: didn't hear that. But yeah, I mean, those pictures of the rivers are just just heartbreaking to see the
9: sand, you know, dry riverbeds where there should be a, an actual river. So uh, uh, some of the, one of these stones says on it, "If you see me weep," yeah, uh, sort of indicating what comes next when you run out of water. So here it is, hunger stones. There's so much weeping these days, as if tears. We're on sale. Supply and demand, you know, and there are so many reasons for dread. These being on clearance, too, can be yours for just a tick-tock or tweet. Back in the day, reasons were left to the gods, rarely possessed by the wretched, and so scarce and dearly bought that when owned, the famished etched them on river stones. Stones that made themselves known only in the driest times, when rain no longer made grain grow, when tears were the only water left to wet the fields, when the only work to be done was to carve laments into rock, that would only be seen when it was too late to do anything, except weep, except weep, except weep. Yeah,
0: excellent poem. As always, Dick, that was uh, Hunger Stones. And, and yeah, if you haven't seen those pictures, check them out. They're fascinating uh, to look at and, and, and terrifying. And that, that, if you see me weep, is the is the is the roughest one, I think.
9: Yeah, and and uh, you know, I was just thinking about if this drought extended into the breadbasket and in, in uh, you know in Ukraine and even Russia, mm-hmm. the weeping would be primarily in um, you know the Horn of Africa and other yeah. places mm-hmm. so compliant. So the weeping would no longer be in Germany; it would be someplace else where they can't afford the food you know they they must have that food mm-hmm. yeah for sure um so the next one was um um a revised from when i sent in so i sent it to you by email
7: yeah I have and, it right
9: here yeah and the story basically is is that um you know as has been usual in this day of of you know twitter and and sort of uh Christian nationalism on the rise is that whenever a, a Jewish uh, person, a, a celebrity, or, or somebody of note um, makes the news, the anti Semitic threats to them, to their synagogues, to their families, you know, grow exponentially, you know, and, and I think as measured now are, are in the hundreds of times mm-hmm. more than they were just, just five years ago, six years ago. So uh, this poem is written in response to the current spate of anti-Jewish rhetoric and threats. It's called The Naming of Predator and Prey. And the epigraph is just one of the truths on the truth social platform. Name the Jew, FBI takes orders from above and Jews run the deep state. Summer is done with its greening, And moves on to dropping its messenger leaves. They foreshadow an inexorable falling, a sprung and spurred unwinding. This year's clockwork seasons have so many slipped pinions and bring bare toothed surprises. Much like the winter when coyotes returned to these parts and we knew. Nothing would be the same, and all would be as it was, which was not good for some, rabbits taken down one by one, the buck deer, fearing the amalgamate packs which howl down the night, come in from behind. Yet the fawns and does have gotten it right, are skittish and scarce now that autumn closes in. They set a good example for my kind that has seen jackals too. Jackals are never good news for us Jews. We've grazed safe around here in the spring and summer of America, rarely taken down, and then only in ones or 11s. But these days, the predators are bolder, the packs more plentiful. They sway their collective heads, gimballed on ravened bodies they rabble around their prey slaver, threats plentiful as the lice they can't scratch free from yesterday they snapped at the tendons of a judge who dared their god man today a synagogue shuts down in fear of attack there's more but you don't want to hear it all seems so tame until you see one of these beasts close up i have a coyote as big as a dog out in the day My dear hunter buddy said, there's one, there's two, there's two, there's four. You should not be out and about until I've got things under control. I knew what he meant. I'd seen his gun. Tonight, I hear howling from out in the hollow. I try to fall off to sleep to the screeching of owls. Or is that the cat? Did one of the vermin take down the cat?
0: Yeah, another excellent poem. Thanks for sharing that, Dick. That was uh, Richard Westheimer with uh, The Naming of Predator and Prey. Um, thanks as always, Dick. It's a pleasure hearing yeah. these poems.
9: Thank you, Tim. Bye-bye.
0: Yeah, bye. Um, next up, let's go to uh, Karen Marker.
10: Mm-hmm. I'm so hoping you wouldn't have me follow that. <laughs> I'm actually in tears. <laughs> 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 my, 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 my poem, I, I, I just, I'm going to share even though I just... Finished it as we were <laughs> on this <laughs> uh-huh. listening tonight um, is conversations from this morning. Monday morning conversations at Cole
0: Coffee. Excellent.
10: <laughs> Everyone's talking at once, happily hanging out between electric cars and bikes, held in place by beards, tattoos of frogs, dragons snaking up their legs. It's not yet September, and they are sitting out front at cafe tables, coming back together with big hopes, cups in hand, frothing over with catching up conversations with the 9 a.m. sun cutting through fog and coughs. There's not a cell phone in sight. What a way to start the day, the Rubenstein's plumbers got the water heater up, he says, the pan's in place. It's the best weather anywhere in the world. Supposed to be 82 today, the mother, back from dropping kids at school. Answers, the first day of school was last Thursday. This is the first week. I forget what grades he in. Someone else at the table asks, he's a junior. Where are your kids now? Neil's in Boston, the others scattered coast to coast. Our little neighbor girl, can you imagine? It's called Chloe. How utterly delightful. And her brothers, Jasper, Jasper and Cleo. <clears throat> Cleo or um, is it Io or Eo? He asks. Must be Eo. He or they are turning 21 today, wearing a fuzzy pink crown, a Trek t-shirt from Oregon, a big smile. Happy birthday to you and congrats to your mom. A woman with street spirit comes by. Do you want one? She's missing teeth, nods a smile as she passes by. What college did you go to? Where are you return when are you returning? At the neighboring table, the man who could be a professor with a tattered gray beard, a hat with a feather, says, "I was in Spain during the Revolt of 68." Someone out of context. Someone out of context mentions curse stones. The Greeks or the Romans used to chisel them out and bury them to cause bad luck to their enemies. Can you imagine being that angry and spend hours chiseling stones just to bury them? The archaeologists later found all these names. No one was famous. Hey, we could use some of these chis- that chiseling now. Stones into curses. They were called curse tablets. You could never get rid of them. The man with the gray grayer hair and longer beard coughs. And now it's graffiti. A woman at the others, other tables now, talking about watching Barry, season two. We're late to the game. It's weird, dark should never have kept going after the first season. It was so funny then, curious. He looks it up on his tablet, the Greco-Roman stones. There's a lot more I don't catch, can't hear well enough, all these scattered words, most of the endings.
0: Well, that was a wonderful poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Karen. A Monday morning conversation. Off, I
10: never, <laughs> I never do that, up, but I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't resist.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, it was just good stuff. I loved all the transitions and, and shifts and moves of it. It was wonderful. Thanks for sharing it. Thank Do you want me to read another one? Uh, sure. Yeah, if you have another one. Oh,
10: yeah, um, I, I think I sent it to you too. It's it's not on any of the um, um prompts then. But...
0: Yeah, yeah, I have it right here. When memory is not quite the mother of the muses. (laughs) Okay.
10: I'm diving into that, into the rotting mulch of brain matter with questions I can't answer. What is the name of that woman I've known forever? And why is the cream in the microwave oven when I'm heating up the last of my coffee? If I become my mother succumbing to dementia, who will be my keeper? And why do I still remember what I wish I'd forgotten? Memory, if you really are mother of the muses, tell me how people once had it all in their heads. Homer's Odyssey in meter never written down. Well, everything I need is in my smartphone, the clues to get started. And still, I'm looking everywhere for the words I filed. Using mnemonic devices, seeking first letters that flicker on and off rhyming to get things rolling. Is it that I'm not getting out enough? All those readers on Zoom I've never met, tagged, held in place, those boxes help, but without context, nothing stays. Memory, you are a trickster who knows writing poetry requires work, and I am a bird who has built a nest in the rafters so tiny, I can't find where I've left it. My baby's hungry, crying, until the story thief closes in, hies their songs, and a synapse snap, snaps. Maybe it's you who guides me back. I remember an address, a name, my life.
0: Oh, another wonderful poem. Thanks so much for sharing both of those. Um, Karen, it's just, just good, good stuff. It's always a pleasure to see you.
10: <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yep, bye. It was Karen Marker with uh, Two Poems. And now let's go to uh, Joy Stall. is here. It's been a while. Hey,
11: yeah, yeah how I'm you doing? And two computers at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't unmute myself with the with the wrong mouse.
0: <laughs> so how have you been? I you know, I you are a teacher too, so perfect for the um I, I believe, right? You're a teacher?
11: Yes. Yeah, yes.
0: so for the opening poem, it's a perfect fit. How are you uh finding things on the teaching front?
11: Oh well, um I changed roles at same school but different job this year so Mm -hmm. it's but kind of crazy yeah to move everything down the hall and (laughs) yeah
0: so uh so what did you want to share
11: dealing with a whole bunch of different students (laughs) so i have um a prompt poem that i literally wrote in the last hour excellent Uh,
0: well those are my favorite kind i love it when it's hot off the press (laughs) yes (laughs) Yeah, so go ahead whenever you're ready.
11: Um, all right. Miss whatever her name is. Our town's back to school bash spans the entire downtown area, all four blocks of Main Street. Two girls that I do not recognize walk toward me, see me, and one says to the other, Hey, isn't that Miss whatever her name is? The teacher. Yeah, replies her companion. As I chuckled to myself. I share it on Facebook, laugh with the other teachers in the park, then I sleep on it. I am content to be known only as the only thing I ever wanted to be, the teacher.
0: Oh, that is really sweet. I love that poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's great to see you again. It's been it's been too long.
11: Yes. <laughs> I need to figure out a way to Zoom from home.
0: <laughs> okay, well, it's good to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Joy. Yeah. And that was Joy Stahl with Miss Whatever Her Name Is. Um, let's go next to Jennifer Elise Wang. Hey. Hey, Jen. How are you doing today?
12: I'm good. So my prompt poem is it's a little bit of a cheater because... I I heard this on a recording while watching surfing so I didn't actually hear the conversation myself but uh, I thought it was it was an interesting little snippet that they actually caught during the broadcast where they're like oh yeah one of the surfers is saying like my her arms are tired her arms aren't working so <laughs> I thought like that was a really good launching point, and because i've been just watching a lot of surfing over mm-hmm. the weekend
0: very interesting okay well let's hear it. this is uh, watching the tahiti pro surfing while practicing surgery very interesting let's yeah. hear it
12: your arms aren't working my hands keep shaking you try to kick paddle charge to gain priority i'm snipping peeling searching for the correct artery you've been competing all day under the sun I've been practicing surgery for hours under a microscope. You take a deep breath and duck dive. I steady my breath before making an incision. Your muscles tense as you try to get barreled. I push the skin and muscle aside. You thank Roa for the opportunity and pray for his mercy. I beg Ro'o to help make this procedure a success. Your body gets slammed by the water, the reef cutting your leg. My heart sinks with another death from an incorrectly cut vein. Agony comes in many forms, but having gone farther than we have before, we swim on.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh,
12: yeah. And I actually was like, I've been learning a new surgical technique. So really? the, the surfing kind of helped calm my nerves. Because uh-huh. that was oh,
0: very, very do funny. you surf yourself?
12: Uh, no, I don't. I've never served. I skateboard and I snowboard, but uh-huh. I haven't had a chance to go in the water.
0: Yeah. Me neither. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know. I'm wondering if it'd be fun or if, just too scary.
12: <laughs> yeah. I was like, I have glasses. glass. I can't see without my glasses. So I was like, I don't uh-huh. know if I could do it, <laughs> but very yeah, cool. it's then, just uh, been really yeah. cool watching. Like, especially since, uh, this is the first year, first time in, I think, 16 years that, uh, the women are competing in Tahiti as well.
0: So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, so you have another poem you want to share too?
12: Uh, Yeah, so uh, I think I I attached it in the same file. Mm -hmm. It was recently published by uh, Southern Arizona Press in their Uh, anthology Dragonflies and Fairies.
0: Very cool. Congratulations on that.
12: Yeah, thank you. Um, And it's a sonnet called Enchantment. I know a world of magic. You can come along and journey into worlds afar. Be silent. Hear the distant beating drum of noble knights who seek a fallen star. Go back to when the truce was same as lore, to lands where there be dragons full of might. Encounter goblins, sail to foreign shores, find dwarves and imps and fae of dark and light, and rescue elven maids with locks of gold. Heroic tasks shall do for Mab the queen. Morgana's sorcery you shall behold. In forests you will find the man in green. Like unicorns, this world can eyes perceive if minds possess the power to believe.
0: Oh, excellent. I always love a good sonnet. Thanks so much for sharing that yeah. too, Jen. Thank you. Yeah, that was uh, Jennifer Lee Swain with two poems, uh, Enchantment and uh, Watching Tahiti Pro Surfing While Practicing Surgery. Very interesting. Um, Let's go next to uh, Bev Wendell-Atherstone. Hi, Tim. Hey, Bev. Great to see you. How are you doing tonight?
8: Great.
13: That was a wonderful program today. I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, I just love that project.
13: Yeah, that's, that's incredible. When I was uh, undergrad at the University of California at Davis, I spent one semester as part of social psychology at uh, Vacaville Medicals Facility, Mm -hmm. which is, um, which was at that time, um, a prison. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went once a week for three hours each time. And uh, that was, that stayed with me my whole life. Uh, Many of the Young men I met at the time um, had committed a crime as a uh, youth and um, were lifers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really you know the the poets who write to us and and share poems with us over the years. A lot of them are people who you know went in really young and they're they're in for life. Yeah. And um, you know, there's nothing there's nothing else. You know, so um, yeah. they have they have poetry to try to make something out of what's left of their life. Um, so it's really really heartbreaking on a lot of levels too. So.
13: Vacaville had a wonderful painting um, program. They had some fabulous painters and the
1: your inmates up Hey, Bev. Would, and
13: then Bev, your break a big sale, you want to turn sale. your... Okay.
0: Turn your camera off. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Yeah.
13: So uh, the, they had a wonderful painting project at the prison, mm-hmm. and uh, every year they would sell their paintings, and through the sales they... Um, they sponsored a little league bas- uh, baseball team in oh, in wow. uh, oh,
0: yeah that's really neat yeah. yeah that really is yeah
13: yeah okay i've got two poems and they're both from the snippet um prompt
9: interesting okay
13: and the first one is um, snippet overheard and i heard this today a grandma talks to her granddaughter in the swimming pool dressing room grandma don't do that Granddaughter, whispers inaudibly. Grandma, different cultures and different individuals have different ways of relating to their private parts. And why shouldn't the little girl do whatever, Grandma? What taboos do we still teach our little girls stealing their agency? My Aunt Pat thought my mom a proper brood. So when I stayed over at her house I wasn't allowed to wear undies beneath my nightgown for freedom and exploration she later told me
0: Oh wow very interesting poem. snippet over her thanks for sharing that Beth No and, uh... I didn't
13: I didn't finish it Oh sorry All I did was shiver with my bare butt sticking out of the covers
0: <laughs> Sorry the last line was cut off <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off but thanks for sharing that Beth
13: I've got another one. Over (laughs) 70 years ago, I have a great memory of my grandma. Okay, go ahead. Over 70 years ago, my grandma told her sister, laughing, that we age downwards with our legs going last. I've remembered as my face wrinkled, my waddle shook, my upper arms took flight, my boobs drooped, my butt sagged, but my legs stayed firm. Grandma was always
0: right I never heard that we age downwards but now you mention it it kind of makes sense (laughs) yeah thanks for sharing that Bev thanks so much yeah always a pleasure take care thank you Um, and let's go to uh, Brent Stauffer next great hey Brent always good to see you how are you doing tonight
14: I'm doing great Um, excellent show as always um i didn't get the express thing either
0: yeah yeah i mean i don't know i don't know how i couldn't i mean that's a really nice thought of that i should have asked him who came up with that but i didn't even know it was so clever yeah until after we left <laughs>
14: um but i also um uh i have a question for you mm-hmm. um about uh poets respond yeah because i i tried it for the first time this week i also wrote about the very same hunger stone that Dick wrote.
0: about. Yeah. It. That's such an interesting it, topic. Yeah.
14: Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, it's called a hunger stone. Mm-hmm. So right away you're thinking, okay, I can use that. <laughs> and then it's, if you read this weep, Oh well, yeah. You know, um, but you know, there's a, there's a, a place on the submission on submittable where you put in a description mm-hmm. of, of what the story was about yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you, my question is, do you read those before you read the poem or after you read the poem?
0: Actually, it's funny you ask because I do it differently at each week. (laughs) I don't know. I don't have a set way of doing it (laughs) because you can set submitable to open up to either page. Um, either that a uh-huh. first or a uh-huh. poem first, and sometimes I flip okay. it to do that. There's no real rhyme or reason. So sometimes I read okay. the poem, and then I'm like, "What is that about?" And then I flip to see what it was yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> and other times I read the uh, thing first, and I don't know. So there's no, um, there's no okay. consistency to that, and I haven't well, because I can't figure out which way is better to do it. <laughs> so
14: right, yeah, yeah. Well, I, that makes sense, and and I couldn't figure out which way you would have done it. Although knowing that you might read the description first of the story, mm-hmm. uh, that informs me as to how to.
0: You know, I think how it actually um, goes is this. Usually it goes to the poem first. Like that's how our regular reading process goes. And then yeah. if I find myself not understanding what a lot of poems <laughs> are about in a row, then I switch to do it the other way. Yeah. Um, so do, do you sense. want to so read I, that poem I, or do you want to just do the other one?
14: Yeah. No, I, I don't have that one ready to go. Okay, um, yeah. but I, I do have the other one, and I had one other question yeah, more sure. generally about about submissions uh-huh. in general. Um, my word processing program wants me to use some font. I think it's Arial or uh-huh. something, yeah. and it wants it to be in eleven at size eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm used to writing in Times New Roman. At size twelve, and so Uh that's what I use to submit. Mm -hmm. Is is there a preference among publishers? It's funny you say because I just saw
0: a tweet from some publisher yesterday that we were kind of making fun of, but (laughs) (laughs) but they were saying that you should never submit unless it's in what did you say, Garamond or or Roman um, or something? Wow! But I I could not care less as long as it's legible. That's my opinion. Okay. Um, You know I think if you're using like some You know, if you're using like a playful, weird, goofy font, it's not like putting your first, you know, best foot in the door. Like, like using like Comic Sans or whatever, I would not Ah. recommend. (laughs) But uh, or like Carnival, you know, there's some weird fonts, and I don't think that gives the best first impression. But any normal standard font is totally fine with us. So uh, whatever you want to do, and the font size doesn't matter because you can, especially online, you can zoom in. Um and you know and when it was hard copy as long as it was big enough to read that was fine you know the, we talked about people in prison they always handwrite and so they have the best handwriting wow. of anybody because they have to handwrite everything you know so um wow. yeah so whatever just don't worry about that stuff and okay, hopefully that's great. hopefully most people don't care I can't imagine caring you know if the poem is <laughs> is, is legible yeah, that's all that it really matters um but yeah anyway good questions it's uh
14: okay it's, you know, good
0: for everybody to know
14: um. Okay, so um, this is a prompt poem, and um, I overheard uh, something great. So, so, and then um, uh, not all of it actually happened, but you know, oh, anyway, so um, okay, it's called um, "Ever Since Down the Sun-Dazzled Sidewalk." Several steps ahead of me amble an elderly couple leaning toward each other, white haired heads almost touching when she says, it's been that way ever since the flood. The quaint brick buildings of downtown Torrington offer nothing but blank stares. Placing his arm around her small shoulders, he pulls her closer, but doesn't say anything. When they pause at the curb i catch up to them the flowers on her dress swaying in the breeze i wish like hell the old man would say something but the three of us stand in silence and wait for the light to change a thunderous motorbike rolls slowly by spewing its guttural mutterings the silence it leaves behind is thick with questions i'll never ask after all it isn't my place to know. It's enough to see how tenderly he holds her arm as she steps into the crosswalk. How firmly he stands until her feet are sorted out, as if no flood on earth could ever sweep him away or them apart.
0: Oh, I love that ending. Very sweet. Ever since, thanks so much for sharing that, hey, Brett.
14: Yeah, hey, thanks a lot, Tim.
0: Yeah, yeah, Have it was a pleasure. Yep, take care. Absolutely. As uh, Brent Stoffer with Ever Since, and we have one more person on the uh, Zoom, which is Julian Matthews. Hey, Julian. How you doing today? Hi. Hey, great to see you. You're up late again. Oh, uh, no, it's early morning at 10 early o'clock. Early morning, late. okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming to you from the future. <laughs> from the future. Yeah, it's tomorrow. So, uh, so what do you have that you'd like to share? I have a found poem, which is a kind of snippet, I guess. Oh, very interesting. Oh, I see this right here. This is very cool. Okay, I have it on screen. So, is there anything you want to say about it, or you just want to read it? Uh, just, I uh, spotted it in a mall and took a picture. <laughs> so, here it goes. Uh, I, I'm calling it the peanut poem after somebody left a comment. Save me. Save me. Spring day. Save me. Never mind, I'm fine. <laughs> that is just wonderful. I love that. Did you did you arrange it to do that, or is it just there? No, it was just there. Oh, that's that's great. So, for people just listening, that is a um. There's a photo that Julian included with um a Snickers uh, packaging at the store, and so each Snickers bar says those two words as they're advertising. So Snickers, for some reason, I don't know why they're doing that but uh, but the poem is written out in the Snickers bar. That's really cool. Thanks uh, for finding and sharing that, Julian. Thank you, Tim. Yep, take care. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. It was Julian Matthews with uh, the peanut poem. Very fun. So I'm going to shut down the Zoom, and uh, we'll look at a couple more poems before we go. I might have to cut out some uh, some of the show because of the bad audio so i need a little extra time and last, so we have some other people i'll read their poems i also wanted to read the um uh, richard garcia's paperclip poem i said i'd read it last week and i forgot before the show was over um so let me pull this up this is uh, a poem by andy rooney and uh, i just love this poem this poem cracks me up i think it was in the humor issue right yeah, this was I think like the only funny one in the humor issue. I mean no offense to any of those. It's, humor is hard. And um but I love how much he gets into the Andy Andy Rooney voice, which I cannot um I cannot do voices, so I can't do that. But in my head it is exactly Andy Rooney. And this is uh this is a, a poem by Andy Rooney, by uh actually by Richard Garcia, who we talked about. We talked about this poem a little bit last week with uh Katie Porter. Here it is a poem by Andy Rooney. How about these paper clips? Consider the humble paper clip. Paper clips do not like to remain in their containers. Paper clips can be found at the bottom of the sea. The first paper clip was made of mastodon ivory. Some paper clips are covered in plastic. Some paper clips are plastic. Metal paper clips are desirable. You can twist them while on the phone. You can use one to pick your teeth. It is not recommended to use a paper clip to pick your teeth. A paper clip can unlock a handcuff. A paperclip cannot unlock a plastic handcuff. Last time I mentioned paper clips, I received boxes of paper clips in the mail. Here are some of my like, some candy paper clips. You can use them to attach important papers together. You can eat candy paper clips. Paper clips are like some marriages; they clip things together temporarily. Please don't send me any more paper clips. You can use paper clips to brush your eyebrows. It is a little-known fact but every computer has a secret tiny hole somewhere in its body into which you can insert a straightened paperclip. Usually, a frozen computer will start up again when you insert the unfolded paperclip into this tiny secret hole. Your IT guy at the office would rather you did not know about the tiny secret paperclip hole in your computer. Paperclips have been sprinkled into space by scientists. Paperclips ring the planet. Some planets have ice rings, boulders, bits of exploded comet, purple and yellow meteor dust. Our planet has a ring of millions of paper clips. Recently, it had been noticed that the paper clips are joining together, each clip attaching to each clip, forming a paper clip chain in the ionosphere. Maybe mankind could learn something from all the paper clips that have fallen into remote corners of our offices. Here are some biodegradable paper clips made of recycled paper. Here are some paper clips made of compressed diamond dust. Here is a paper clip I have carried in my pocket since 1944. It saved my life at Omaha Beach by deflecting a sniper's bullet. As you can see by its girth, they don't make paper clips like they used to. That is my, uh, Richard Garcia's poem, um, a poem by Andy Rooney. And if you, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers back when uh, Andy Rooney did those 60-minute episodes, um, at the very end, he had some kind of comment at the end. And um, I don't know, that poem just cracks me up. So thanks for sharing that, uh, Richard Garcia, from mail number 33. I um, forgot to read it last week. And let me see what else we have. Um, We have Sharon Ferrante's poem here. And Sharon Ferrante says, I'm watching, but company can't zoom. If you have time, could you read this? Okay. So this uh, this is Sharon Ferrante's poem, What Do You Do? Here we go. What Do You Do by Sharon Ferrante. What do you do? Being a witch, my neighbor asks. I watch you with your broom, some wild dance under the moon. You were smoking pot, weren't you? Holding things tight, chanting things all night, stinking of patchouli, a gypsy's room. Do you ask the moon to do spells for you? No, I tell her. I ask her to do spells for you. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Sharon. That was What Do You Do by Sharon Ferrante. I love that. Thanks, Sharon. So that is it for the uh, the open lines for today. Thanks everybody who participated. Um I'm going to go to the uh Saiku for the week. And the Saiku for the week is right here. Um this was a, I always try to I like the reason why we do the Saiku is just cuz I like to do you can write poems about other things besides for the terrible um, political and catastrophic news. And this is some nice news from NUS researchers. Um that is the um uh, what is the NUS? The uh let me National University of Singapore. That's what NUS is. So these are researchers at the National University of Singapore, and they have invented a, uh, if you can see it, they invented a self-charging, ultra-thin device that generates, um, that generates electricity from air moisture using sea salt as an eco-friendly moisture absorbent. This rechargeable, fabric-like battery produces higher electrical output than a conventional AA battery, potentially powering everyday. Electronics. It's a self-charging device using the, uh, the potential between the uh, wet side of a cloth and the dry side of a cloth, and it can pull, it sort of wicks moisture out of the air to keep the one side moist, and, uh, and then charges itself that way. So imagine how different the world will be um, if this technology works, and your cell phone is just charged by itself, and you never have to charge a cell phone. Um, and every kind of like small electronic device could have a battery like this in theory. Um, so wonderful, interesting, good news, um, which is always fun to share. And my uh, my Syku based on this for this week is right here. A rainwater caught by the empty infield, lost potential. Rainwater caught by the empty infield. Lost potential. That is the Psyku for this week. I'm um, thinking about my rained out baseball game from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and here is uh, the prompt for next week. This is uh, Elizabeth S. Wolf's prompt. This is one of the things that she sent to uh, Prisoner Express. So you'll participate like uh, the people in that program will be. This is uh, Elizabeth S. Wolf's prompt. Write a poem about every place you've ever lived, how it felt to be there. What made that place different or special, beautiful or terrible? What did you see or eat there? How did it smell? What did you pass on your way home? And I think you can see how that was the inspiration for one of the last poems we read. Was, on, was it Andrew Bartlett's poem? I can't remember whose poem it was, about the, the home and that it being all downhill after that, that home. I, I assume it came from this prompt. Um, so that is your prompt for next week. Write a poem about every place you've ever lived and how, how it felt to be there. Um, that is next week's prompt for the Rattlecast, and next week's guest is going to be um, Linda Neemick Foster, her new book, uh, wonderful book, is *The Blue Divide*. She uh, appeared. She a, does a lot of things with with art and, and poetry and haiku. So she has a, a piece in uh, right back in realm Number 29, uh, a really wonderful mixed medium piece. Um, and uh, this is her. I'm not sure how many books she has out, but She has a whole bunch of books out. And *The Blue Divide* is the most recent. As we next week's guest, Linda Neemick Foster, The regular time Monday, August 29th. 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Um, Thanks for a great show tonight. I appreciate it. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and I will talk to you later. Good night.